everybody. Welcome to RPG for You and Me's The Mixer. This is an interview series we do alongside our main show, Neon Heat, an LGBTQ plus duet actual play, a sci fantasy story following one disaster woman as she tries to navigate the fallout of a conspiracy with the help of her friends and a wide spectrum of allies in her neo-noir subterranean hometown. But today is a very special day. We have with us the Purpa, who you know as the creator and artist for the Webtoon original, Suitor Armor. You can find her at the Purpa on Twitter, Twitch, at Mel Pulse on Instagram, and at patreon.com slash the Purpa, which has a treasure trove of development art for the series. And I've been enjoying the archive very much. The music for this interview was all provided by the incomparable Marcus D, who you can find at Marcus D on Twitter and at MarcusD.net. You can find myself at You See the Hat or at RPG for You and Me on Twitter. And my wife, Kira, is only accessible on our show Discord, accessible through our Patreon at patreon.com slash RPG for You and Me. Lastly, spoilers abound, folks. We talk about everything up to Suitor Armor's season two mid-season finale. And the language is, ah, spicy on our end. So listening discretion is advised. We're going to jump right in. Please enjoy. Where did your username come from? Gosh, I've had it for years. Something I came up with when one day I was like, if I was a Pokemon, what would I be called? Oh, and I just came God. up with the word Purpa. Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. We're Pokemon people as well, so you're in good company. Yeah. I guess let's start with basic stuff. Like, I know that you have an animation background. What made you want to get into animation? Well, I've been doing art pretty much my entire life. It was one of those things I was really lucky to know from a very early age that I wanted to go into art, no matter like what kind of art it was. But I loved animation. I loved animated movies, animated shows. And so I figured that would be a good direction for me to go. And so I got a BFA in illustration and I attempted to get animation work. I did one freelance job uncredited for like Cartoon Network for one episode of a pilot that led absolutely nowhere. <laughs> so a lot of my art style and stuff is still very much tied to my animation roots, especially my TV animation, because that's what I was planning on going into. It was funny because one of my teachers in a different class I took that was focused on narrative illustration, so comics, he kept trying to get me like, you should think about comics, you should think about comics. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a character designer. And I emailed him like a year ago and I was like, so I ended up <laughs> in comics. <laughs> so it was a sort of stumbled my way into where I am now. Mm -hmm. But characters are my favorite thing to draw. So I was focusing on character design and comics are all very character centric especially webtoons in particular. I don't have to worry about too much background stuff. But yeah, it was sort of a, a happy trip and a fall into comics. Honestly, I think that's just the way life goes, you know? Yeah. A la Jurassic mm. Park, life finds a way. It takes <laughs> yeah. some unexpected and interesting directions. Your illustration background certainly comes through in the comic because the fundamentals are so clearly in every panel. Like you obviously know the bones of what you're doing and it makes everything read so clearly. Every expression, every little downward tick of a mouth or the slight squint of an eye, like, I don't know. It's just very good. Like when I draw Yay. expressions are my favorite and yours are beautiful. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that 
stuff like that actually comes across. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very much so. And it's very clear that you have a love of focusing on characters because they certainly have the most love and attention and uh, very dynamic designs. You know, most of the characters, even if they have similar body shapes, are visually very distinct. They definitely pass the silhouette test. Yeah, the silhouette test. <laughs> Especially Modius for obvious, for obvious reasons. reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So you clearly have a love of animation and movies, and I've heard you talk about video game stuff before. If you had to pick like a top three or even a top five or however many, what are your favorite animated movies or TV series or Disney, Pixar, anything like that? Animated movies, definitely Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is yes. one of my all-time favorites. Masterpiece. So a work of art. And I was so happy that I got to live through such like an iconic piece of animation history happening like, you know, while I was cognizant of it because that really changed the landscape of how it was done, especially because 3D animation had kind of fallen into a lazy comfort zone for a while. It was pretty stagnant. Um, yeah. Yeah. So definitely into the Spider-Verse. I do watch a handful of like anime because I do enjoy some of the aspects of it, the things that they do with it. Cinderella is one of my favorite fairy tales. And so any iteration of that, so I'm, I'm, I grew up with the old fashioned Disney one and stuff. Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time is probably my favorite. I haven't seen that one, but I've seen many, many gift sets of it on Tumblr. And I'm like, yeah. I should watch this movie. It's so good. And it really rounds out one of the stepsisters as a character. And she's actually one of my favorite characters now because of that movie. That's one with the cute baker, right? Yeah, well, actually, that one's the short story from the second, but the third one just covers a lot of the actual emotional abuse that the stepsisters undergo by the hand of their stepmother. Yeah, nobody made it out of that relationship clean, huh? No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so that that one's another one of my favorites. In terms of, like, animated TV shows, while it does have its issues, I, I loved Steven Universe a lot. I know they weren't always on model, but... <laughs> That's so much heart. Oh, yeah, I know that it was like, but you can't expect like, there's the, always the balance of like the studio pushing you to do things very quickly versus the artist wanting to do their best work and all Absolutely. that. Um, yeah. And then Avatar The Last Airbender. Thank you for saying that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I so have good. binge watched that show so many times. As have we. <laughs> it's just kind of on a loop for us. One of my teachers in college, when he was talking about writing for characters and writing for villains, he was like, if you want to know the perfect villain redemption arc, and then he pulled up a picture of Zuko and the whole class started cheering because we all agree. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Zuko's arc was very good because it had time to percolate. Like it wasn't a snap yes. turn. It wasn't a 180. You can see like, see, book two was all about him being so utterly conflicted. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. you just get such good payoff. It's just, mwah. Yeah, and it was a it was an up and down thing. I mean, he betrayed his uncle at one point, you know, yeah. so it was like it wasn't a constant upward momentum towards redemption. Like he he stumbled and fell along the way, which made it so much more believable mm -hmm. versus the villains who have one thing that changes them from bad to good in an instant, which is just very unbelievable because that usually doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. IRL. The writing is incredible in regards to that and just the show in general. I was browsing through your Instagram and I saw that there was some Owl House fan art and we've been watching that for the past uh, a couple months, like off and on, like we'll sit down for dinner and watch an episode or two. And it's just been such a treat. Mm, yeah, we're in season two right now. I love that one so much because it, it took a bunch of like the tropes that we grew up with with fantasy and just like 
either made fun of them or turned it on its head yeah. or just did something different. Yeah. The representation in that show also just like makes my heart warm. Absolutely. Yeah. My gay little heart and, and Ida. Oh my God. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's so foxy. Ida and Amity. Oh, every character. Amity's I could so I could gush for hours about Alice. So, so good. Oh, we're not even done. We have so much more we can I know. Watch. It's going to be great. <sighs> yeah. I'm ready for the emotional damage. Oh God, yeah. It, <laughs> in the the very small amount of free time that I have, I did I did draw a little bit of fan art for that as a treat, as a treat for me. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my other questions: is what do you like to do in the free time that you have? I try very hard to get away from my computer with some of my other hobbies, just because I can become a gremlin very easily if I don't <laughs> let myself go outside. So I I do things like embroidery. I do a lot of mm. crafting because I still feel the need to be creative in some aspect, but just in a different way from drawing. Yeah. It's flexing different muscles. I do watercolors and I've been filling up a sketchbook, which is still technically drawing, but it's not digital. So I <laughs> I count it as a separate thing. Yeah. Um, I'll go to museums. I'm starting to take some archery lessons because I love the old world way of killing people, I guess, <laughs> like archery swords, <laughs> horseback riding, all of that stuff. Yes, agreed. I go bike riding too. It's just like I'm I'm constantly trying to make sure that I'm up and about and not on my butt all day on front of my desk because it's so easy to It's so easy. Go into gremlin mode and realize, oh, a week has passed and I haven't actually left my apartment. <laughs> I'll have friends ping me because they know I I do freelance work from home and they're like, Hey, shrimp check. Are you shrimping at your desk? And I was like, <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> you got it. Good friends. <laughs> good yeah, friends. Very good friends. We already touched on villains briefly in our Avatar talk, but Lord Rickon is such an absolute mustache twirling villain. I love him. <laughs> yeah, He's yes. such a bastard. I loved the gradual step up. Like in the start of the series, there isn't really a clear antagonist. It's the antagonist is the situation, you know, the, mm -hmm. the fear of what mm -hmm. if and um, sort of the uncertainty that goes with that. So there's a lot of tension, which is great, but there's no one person you can point to and say, that's the problem. And for a while, it's you, you think maybe it's the king, and then he has like a really great fleshing out as he starts to interact with Kiersey. And for a while, you think that it's Norix, maybe, and he stays antagonistic for a while, but still has a lot of positivity. Like he has positive aspects, although there are some negative aspects in there too. And he certainly started to come around based on a lot of the micro interactions and, you know, his time with Modius. And then Lord Rickon comes and, you know, stomping kicks through the, the scene, door. kicks down the door, <laughs> twirling his literal mustache. Yeah. And it's just, uh, he's so, I, I'd forgotten what his name was initially when I was talking to Ali. So I referred to him as Uncle War Crimes. And that has, um, <laughs> oh my God. So, so we've just kept calling him. So he's, he's Uncle War Crimes. I love that. <laughs> he's such a wonderful character because he's just so unapologetically evil and perfectly clear open schemer, but he, and he wields so much power and presence, but he does it so openly because he just knows that no one can move against him and he just revels in it you know he's just he's just doing it he's lost in the sauce mm -hmm. the fall will be juicy and satisfying but i'm sure he's gonna cause many many problems so many problems, so many problems. Oh, yes. the wedding braid yes. was very nice though fashion wise mm. <laughs> i i thought it was hilarious when um rickon finally changed his outfit and people were like oh so he does own other clothes <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. in the flashback, it was a very similar outfit when he showed up on the yeah. doorstep. Oh, his yeah. arm design is so cool. Oh, who doesn't love a claw gauntlet? Yeah, it was it was a fun concept in my one of my assistants who helps me with inking and coloring and some design stuff, Ray. I handed it off to them for, for some feedback because it's a 
they actually went the extra step and created a 3D model of it. So we're able to plop it in and trace it. Oh my God, that's amazing. Very cool. Because, oh, that, that thing would be a nightmare to draw freehand every single time. I mean, there is a reason why I created Rickon's cloak to be like over one shoulder so I could just hide it when I don't want to draw it. <laughs> if there's anything I've learned about art from being married to Ali... It's that uh, there are a lot of creative ways that you can hide people's hands. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> what a call out. <laughs> Costuming will save you. <laughs> I always loved animation growing up, too. And I, you know, when I was in like fourth grade, I was a pretty good artist, but I never got better. So you like still draw my, me now. Yeah, my plateau just stayed there for the rest of my life. So, you know, being married to an artist opens that whole, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz curtain gets pulled aside and you get to see the mechanics of how things work and why why decisions are made. And I don't know, I really love that. I love being able to pull those types of things out. So there are certainly panels here and there where I'm like, I wonder if this is why she positioned it that way. <laughs> Just very satisfying. My hypothesis right now is that Uncle War Crimes is going to orchestrate the death of the king. And then uh, after Kiersey inevitably finds out that Lucy is a fairy, is going to freak the fuck out and he's going to manipulate her into marrying him as the new queen. And then he's going to get to be king and they're going to be super evil or she's going to get, oh. you know, put under his thumb. And it's going to be this whole contentious national issue, My nation goodness. versus nation. What? So monarchies, am I right? <laughs> you are not yeah. wrong. I'm like 90 percent sure he killed Raymond's parents to have a pliable boy king on the throne. But mm. juicy. Yeah, uh, he's he's been a fun is not the right word. It's interesting character to write because Rickon, he's like everything I hate about a person who has power. Yep. Yeah. It's not a spoiler to say that there's nothing in the works in terms of redemption for this man. There's a lot of villains that get passes because people find them attractive or because they're going the redemption way. And I think those villain redemptions are always really fun and interesting if they're done correctly. But it's been fun and also frustrating to write a villain that is just so god-awful and there isn't a redeemable quality about them because they just enjoy the power they have and don't care about others necessarily. While he's fun to write as a mustache-furling villain, every time I have to write this man, it's like, a, oh, God, you again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You. It's, a, it's an awful trap. Are there characters that you're always really excited to write their dialogue when it comes up, when you're doing your thumbnails and stuff? Lucia, Modius, and Norix are my favorite to write dialogue, and that's because... Lucia is fun to write because she has to be careful about what she says and how she feels. So she's very calculated in the words that she uses. So it's sort of a challenge to write what she wants to say, but not letting her give too much away because she has this identity that she needs to keep secret from others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Norix has his own secrets, but he's also a very passionate and anxious character. So dialogue for him is always fun to write. And then Modius is still learning how to speak and trying to write from the perspective of someone who's just figured out how to talk but has so much to say is is also fun. And he also, he speaks very directly and doesn't mince words. And all everything he says is 100% genuine. There's no, there's no hiding anything necessarily. His consciousness has not developed subterfuge No, he yet. has not learned subterfuge <laughs> yet. So he's, he's very genuine. I mean, he... He'll keep things to himself if he feels that he needs to and he doesn't speak when he feels that nothing needs to be said. But everything that he says is very genuine. So those three characters are very fun to write because there's so many moving parts behind what they're thinking versus what their dialogue says. 
So it's always a joy to write, especially when those three are in a scene together. And then there's just so much going on behind the scenes of what they're saying. There's so many layers to the context of their situation. Yes. I like the comment about um, Modius because it makes me think like we're barreling towards the climax of Galaxy Quest where he <laughs> realizes that you can be deceptive with words. Yes. Modius, I always love the concept of... Have you played uh, Mass Effect? I, I've played one and two. I am still working through three and it's my favorite sci-fi universe. So I'm so happy you brought that it's up. It's so <laughs> good, right? Yes. yes, wonderful. We are we are big Mass Effect people. Yay! So the, the Geth and the Koreans, right? The Geth are the artificial oh, intelligence, yeah. the synthetic race that was created by the Koreans. And the whole war between them sparked when the first Geth asked their Korean creator, does this unit have a soul? You know, what does it mean to be conscious? What does it mean to, to be, you know, not human, but what does it mean to be sentient and humanoid? So that, that trope across any kind of media is always appealing to me because it gets to the core of what is emotion? What does what meaning does life have, you know, when you can think and choose and decide it for yourself? Especially for a being like Modius, who doesn't have any kind of ingrained context. You know, he he wasn't implanted with memories. He doesn't have that frame of reference. He he was created to be an automaton and he only gathers the context that is presented to him. So like having Lucia there it has been paramount in his development because she shaped him from such a young age, so to speak, like right away. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most interesting things to me. And you did such a great job with showing his development being not slow, but deliberate. And it seemed like every single chapter that goes by, he's made some sort of little milestone in progress. And it's not always tangible and measurable that way, but you can see it chapter by chapter. It felt really good that it wasn't too slow of a burn. So the the rate at which he's advancing is mm -hmm. has felt really good so far. I am very glad to hear that because pacing in a webtoon is always fun because you don't want to go too quickly, but you don't want to drag things out so long that people are getting frustrated with not being presented with enough momentum. Pacing was another thing I wanted to talk about. You do a tremendous job with pacing, like at the end of each episode, always leaving off with a little cliffhanger or a question that needs to be answered or some tidbit to entice readers to come up next and stringing together these micro interactions and scene by scene and always managing to impart important information either for a character or for the setting itself or for the meta plot into those interactions you do just there's there's no wasted space it's very efficient it's very tight yeah oh gosh thank you <laughs> when i'm writing a script because i have everything outlined out in terms of what i want to happen in each episode but also leaving wiggle room if things need to get split up a little bit more at the top of my script for every episode i write is the question what's the new piece of information that the readers learn mm -hmm. because no matter how short or long an episode is, you need to be giving people a new piece of information about a character or about the world or about the situation that they're in. That's the most satisfying way I, I found to pace things without going too fast or too slow necessarily. And I think that advice actually came from Grave Weaver, who does I'm the Grim Reaper. We were talking and so I've, I pass it on to, to those I speak to as well, because it, it saved it saved me in terms of figuring out how to do this since I kind of just jumped into the deep end with creating a webtoon without much understanding of it initially. So that that's... Trial by fire. So happy. Right? Oh, yes, very much so. Season one in the pits of flames, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you do a great job. Like So we've talked about pacing and plot there. And you only have a couple of isolated chapters where there's any kind of even exposition dump. 
And it's always presented in a really interesting way, right? It's never the reader just being presented with this information. It's always still within the context of the story, like when she goes to see V, the doctor, mm -hmm. and she gets all the, the backstory, the meta-knowledge of that completely shatters her worldview and changes the perspective of the entire story and how things have gone up to that point. And that the conversation in universe and then some of the flashbacks too, um, just really well done. And I love the way you do dream sequences, especially. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of dream sequences across any form of media, but especially a visual format because it lets you do so many interesting things with things being disjointed and yet connected and the common themes. Can be looser. Yeah, the staging is looser. But impactful. Um, and I love the vertical format. You need to have more fun with it. <laughs> it really let you get some of these amazing continuous shots where like the the frame or the panel itself was so much longer and the more you scrolled down the more the image evolved and you know the blacks and the reds together is just mm, so good i just hit the chapter today again with norix's most recent dream sequence well the nightmare that modius wakes him up from mm -hmm. your use of red there I remembered it being very creepy the first time and I was just reading it like, oh no, today with like <laughs> everything being so fresh on my reread. I was like, oh, poor buddy. <laughs> it's got a lot of trauma packed into that guy. Yeah, Norris Norris goes through it. <laughs> and I'm so curious, like we find out that Raymond's like, yeah, I just kind of have him doing weird odd jobs to keep him busy so he doesn't do more war crimes. Right. He's <laughs> clearly like, got oh, a lot man. he's dealing with. He's got a lot of baggage. Kid needs a break. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he doesn't Castle need a break. Needs he needs therapy. therapy. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> So many, so many characters could benefit from some therapy. <laughs> Uncle Warcrime sits down and says, tell me all your problems. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to make a notarized list to use them against you later. <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, I was going to ask if you had the majority of the story arcs planned in advance or if some of them was sort of, you know, figured out on the fly and how much of that changed. And it sounded like early on there was definitely a point where you were just kind of figuring it out week by week, which is very interesting because so... We haven't really talked about what we do because that's not really the point of this, but we do podcasting, tabletop, RPG, actual play stuff. So it's it's a lot of storytelling. It's a lot of improv and things like that. But there's a, a big element of that, you know, what, what changes week by week and mm -hmm. figuring things out on the fly based on what happens because you never pre-plan anything. So for where you're at right now, are you at a point where you feel like you know the major beats of the story and kind of where it's going? Or do you still feel like there's variation to that or that it could change based on how things shake out? Like elements in flux. Yeah. I have the major beats all nailed down. How we get there is also pretty much established, but there's a lot of space for smaller arcs that I'm working on on the side or side events that happen that might not be directly related to the main story, but are for the purpose of fleshing out the characters themselves. But as to like how things will end, what will happen to each character and where they end up, I, I know where it is and I have those in an outline, but I don't restrict myself to a, this is the final outline, nothing can change. Because initially I made up the story on the fly because it was just a, when I was on Canvas, I was just as a side project. And so I was making it up as I was going along every other week when I was posting it just on the side. And then when Webtoon approached me saying we would love to turn this into an original, we just need a story synopsis. I spent an entire night putting together the story in a panic because I didn't actually have anything completely planned. And 
while I don't necessarily recommend doing it by the seat of your pants, it just sort of worked out for me because I wasn't able to stew in my own uncertainties about the story when I submitted it. I went with what felt right in the moment, put it all down in a generic outline and sent it off. Everything that I had planned has worked out and anything that I feel that needs to be adjusted, everything is still in a state of flexibility enough that I can still mess around with it or move the plot either closer or further and add things in between that I feel are necessary. And that's one of the one of the pluses of my agreement with Webtoon and sort of the format that it's in is that it does allow for that kind of flexibility versus like if you're working at a studio, you need to know every single thing mm-hmm. and your outline cannot move at all yeah. in a production line. So the flexibility that I'm allowed is very nice. <laughs> I imagine that even spending time working on something shorter form, like a pilot in the animation industry was very helpful creating your own pipeline for this sort of work. Yes and no. <laughs> Definitely in the realm of self-management, it was helpful kind of figuring out how long does it take me to do this, this, and this so I can schedule my time out accordingly. Mm -hmm. In season one, it was trial by fire. I had no assistance with me. It was me doing everything. Oh my gosh. And I don't recommend that to anyone. It was not a good time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But even though season two has had its ups and downs, it's just we're constantly improving the process and learning how to handle pacing and the workload and, and the production line and stuff. So it's it's on an upward trajectory. <laughs> it's iteration, finding out what works for you. Yes. At a baseline, I really love your art style. It's very curved and very rounded. Like everything is very welcoming. You know, Everybody's even, friend shape. Yeah, every, everybody's friend, <laughs> friend shape. Yeah. And of course, there are sharper angles here and there. And the color pops so, so wonderfully. It's just a very... It's a very cozy setting. It's a very cozy world to be in, which is a big thing for me when I'm enjoying or consuming media. I'm really glad to hear that. It's always a relief when someone says, I like looking at your art. And I'm like, okay, yeah. good. That kind of my, my entire career relies upon that. <laughs> it feels like sitting down with a nice mug of warm coffee. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's It evokes similar stuff for me. I, I love hearing that. Because people will, will say things like that to me about my art style and then they'll bring up what I wasn't expecting was. And I'm like, yeah, my art style is kind of misleading about some of the things that happen in the story because things get a little violent in some parts. And so I think it works for me because it does kind of lull people into a false sense of security. They're like, oh, this is this is a cute story. Look how cute everything looks. And I'm like, well, <laughs> then you get to one two punch them with fairies falling out of the sky. And you're yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I really value that about the setting and the story, though, is because it does have this wonderfully charming air to it most of the time, but it also isn't afraid to take steps into a much more brutal and negative territory and not for shock value. You know, it's it's it always feels genuine. It's so genuine in the story and carrying the severity of what's happening and what some of the characters have experienced and really what what is at stake. And that's the most powerful thing about storytelling are the stakes. You know, if there aren't any stakes, then sure, it can be like a fluffy feel good and, and that can be good, but it just doesn't carry the same weight. It doesn't, it doesn't mean as much. It doesn't matter as much to me. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're willing to tread into that territory while also still towing the line and keeping it, you know, not gratuitous, but meaningful is, is very impressive and not always something that people do well. Thank you. What would you say influenced your art style the most? Probably my background in TV animation. Definitely that laid the foundation work, especially on how I choose to render my panels. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of shading 
And that's mostly to cut down on time, but also because I'm extremely detail oriented about my line work. So where my colors might not be super rendered or have a bunch going on, I feel that my line work frames it well enough that it doesn't require it. And it's also helpful for when there's like an impact panel and the lighting changes and suddenly there yeah. is cell shading. It, it kind of drives home the fact that something is happening or this panel is important. And so I feel, I feel that it's a combination of TV animation, my background there, and then the enjoyment I get from things like manga and anime. So a, a little bit of a marriage between the two. It's a good marriage, let me tell you. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I think I think they get along very well. <laughs> yeah. I'm knee deep in a Persona 5 Royal playthrough right now. And it reminded me of how Lucia going through the story is unlocking these squad mates and their social links. You can't get to the really juicy stuff before you like, you got to hang out with Baynard like three times. You got to talk to Perez at least once and then you can <laughs> unlock this story event that's fully animated and has a musical score. And yeah. <laughs> I really, I really, really enjoyed the development of Baynard specifically because like at the beginning you're like, oh, well, he's, just this, he's just this guy. He's just this guy who likes attention. He's just in the ring doing whatever. But you're like, no, he does that so he can stay with his lover away from the war. Yeah. <laughs> and I love them as a couple. They're so supportive of each other. Yeah. And the fact that you had the immediate LGBTQ representation there really set the tone. Their relationship is one of my favorites because it's also... Their relationship is extremely important, not only for my need to, you know, represent the community, but also because it's Modius's framework for what love is. Oh. That is his first experience witnessing two people loving each other and having them be the framework is me driving home. The fact like, hey, Modius learned love from these two dudes. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Don't like it? Get out. <laughs> and then obviously having uh, Lucia's dad's well, you, you pulled the quote earlier today. What was it? Oh, like? it was from the flashback where she's little. Her one dad was like, what do you say to people if they're mean to you? My dads are going to beat you up. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Like, hold on. Hold and then on. her other dad in the background with this long suffering look like, oh, my God. <laughs> so good. It just gave so much depth to their relationship in the brief snapshot that we see them. You do that so well. You capitalize on all these very small moments to make a full portrait. Mm -hmm. That's very difficult to do. So it happens so frequently that sometimes you forget or you take it for granted, but it's very well done. Thank you. Again, it means a lot that I'm hearing this from someone who's read it and, and picked it. I'm like, oh my gosh, someone noticed that. Or, you know, because like, and the majority of the time, it's really easy if uh, for people to scroll through an episode so quickly. And that's part of the, the caveat of working on a webtoon is that you slave a whole week on one episode and do over 50 panels. And it takes people sometimes like a minute at most to scroll through an entire episode and consume it so quickly. And you're like, oh boy, oh there God, goes my entire that. week in a minute. <laughs> but and there's so many layers to it. Like people read and engage with media for different reasons, but mm -hmm. there's the character art, there's the backgrounds, there's the dialogue, there's the meta story itself. There's so many small things that, you know, if you if you just slow down and you take a moment to look, there are so many little treats just peppered throughout. I noticed a couple of those things, but that's also I realized I read webtoons and comics obscenely fucking slow <laughs> because of my art background. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, these drawings are so good. And I like, tried, I don't know when I'm reading comics, I'm also 
absorbing information about style and color and framing and stuff because that's one of my passions. So I always pick up on it when it's available. But like some of the smaller details that you put in, Lucia, her dress and her costuming in general at the beginning of the story is so much more beige with pops of color as like accents. But over time, you transition her into much more like almost fully blue outfits as she's becoming more of herself and she doesn't have to wear this mask in that way anymore. She doesn't have to constrain herself to muted mm -hmm. colors. That was a special realization for me. It's like she's finding her colors. Assigning characters to colors is one of my favorite ways to ensure that their costuming remains consistent, but also make things a little easier when I have to design an outfit for every new day. Yeah. We're, we're big on characters and colors that way, so mm -hmm. definitely fans. I always love talking to people about their creative process. And, you know, that's an open-ended question, and it can mean whatever you want it to mean, but what does your process look like? What do you do to get into the creative zone? What are your rituals? You know, how do you get into that headspace? A lot of daydreaming, if that makes any sense. I, yeah. There are scenes that I won't be able to do for Suitor Armor until like a year away or even farther because it's not in the, the, the close timeline of, of what I'm working on. Um, imagining different dialogue sequences of how those scenes could go and even playing out scenes in my head that don't necessarily even happen, but just kind of getting reacquainted with my characters in different scenarios helps me to ease back into work and get and get ready to interact with these characters and write for them again. Mm -hmm. When it comes to designing them, for Suitor Armor, it's kind of a weird instance of I knew how everyone was pretty much going to look. I didn't do a lot of concepts for anyone except for Rickon. And I didn't even really design him until the episode that he actually arrives. Like, how do um, I make the shittiest looking man possible? <laughs> yeah, but he's still well, so high. It's so, it makes me so angry. It's so good, dude. <laughs> yeah, the, the inspiration for him, I was trying to think of a character that was smarmy and manipulative and stuff. And while not copying the design, just kind of like coming from inspiration was like the, the 2004 Peter Pan movie the live action one, Captain Hook in that movie, it gave off the same vibe that I wanted. It's one of my favorites from my childhood. It's it's so fun. I think his name is Jason Isaac. Jason Isaac. Oh my gosh. The guy, he plays uh, Lucius Malfoy and he also plays... <laughs> yes, a series yes. that shouldn't help you name. And he plays uh, General Zhao <laughs> yeah. in Avatar. Yeah. Excuse you. Admiral Zhao. I'm sorry. Admiral Zhao. You're, you're correct. Yeah, you're right. yeah. Thank you. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy, Yeah, so he was a big inspiration for the look. And I still have really crap concepts of Rick on, on my hard drive because I did. I played around with him having red hair, trying to decide what side of the family the, oh, the okay. red hair that Raymond got. He does not look good as a redhead, I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> also figuring out facial hair on him, what kind of facial hair, because dear God, before I started Suitor Armor, I never drew men. I never drew dudes. Mm -hmm. Why would you need to? Yeah, why would you need to? I know. Women are so pretty and they're all I want to draw. You're so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> your, your eyes just anime shoujo sparkled from I across the table. I can't my gay little heart. I can't help it. <laughs> so that's why like all of my men have long hair. The only short-haired character in the entire series is Quinn. <laughs> and I didn't oh, yeah. realize that until a lot later because I just I love the long flowing hair but it took me so long to be able to draw more masculine presenting characters 
I think you funneled all of your short hair man energy into that bowl cut knight who I fucking hate. The punchable oh, knight. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. a dick. Definitely. What a broccoli haircut. Absolute asshole. <laughs> The He's worst. the worst. He's I, the worst. I oh. like him less than Rickon. I I didn't even bother naming him because he is just supposed <laughs> to represent that guy. We he's all just know that guy. That guy. Just that, yeah, he's just he nailed red, the archetype perfectly. perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! He's oh, such we, a dirtbag. I don't know. We we're just oh, spitting yeah. such venom back and forth at one another over this <laughs> shitty little guy. <laughs> Showing up in the most inopportune times just to stir the pot and the plot. To hey ruin Perez, things. why don't you shoot a bird? I want to see you shoot a bird. He's like. I don't fucking want a man. He's like, oh, I guess you're not cool enough to shoot birds. Uh, the worst. God, the guy sucks. You did such a good job. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, that's really, really good. Uh, the characters that you love to hate, right? The the righteous hatred where there's nothing oh, yeah. redeemable about them and it's safe to just be like, that guy's garbage. <laughs> for, for Rickon specifically, you're talking about his inspiration. My mind immediately went to the Sheriff of Rottingham from Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> Okay. And then also the six-fingered man from the oh Princess my god. Bride as yeah. well. Okay, I can oh, see that. Oh my god. Oh, he's just so dastardly. Care for a I mean, I'm I'm happy that that comes across, but it makes me cringe even more. I'm like, god damn, it's gonna be in my head the, the next time oh, I no. sit down to write more of him. That's okay. You can use it. If it helps, I imagine him with a French accent instead of an English one. I don't oh know why. <laughs> I think it's it's at odds with his very harsh sort of everything about him. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. was going to narrow it down to one example of a thing, but it's just his whole deal. <laughs> I can't wait to watch his two slaves beat him to death or something. That would be very, Hopefully. very satisfying. As he turns to stone and then they shatter him. Fuck, that would be so cool. We'll see. Yeah, bummer that curse didn't spread further. Yeah, it's a real shame that that I'm hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right? We're not saying any theories to try and cajole information out of you. We just like talking oh, theories. Yeah, we, we love theorizing. Listen, you can't put a stone arm on a mantelpiece and not fire it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I got through the flashbacks with the fairy camp today and I'm just like, oh my God, did Lucius want dad like curse Rickon? Is it like full circle? It, it, does he have his wings mounted in that trophy room? Oh, your other theory was that he uses powdered wings to stave off the curse and that's what he's making the potions that's kinda with? That's kind of what I figured. I like that too. But... I mean, he's just having so much fun with He's that, having guys. fun. He's living life. How can the rest of them live, laugh, love in these conditions? Oh, God. Oh, I was just about to say. Imagine if I was like hung up in medieval lettering in his room or something. It's just it's just Gaston, but instead of the animal trophies, it's fairy trophies. <laughs> Yeesh. Oh, God. Upset of spaghetti. On a personal note, over the past couple of months, I've realized that I am non-binary. And Norix was one of the characters that I was like, oh, I like that for some reason. <laughs> so thank you for helping me come to a oh, realization. Yeah. I am non-binary as well, so fist bump. Hey. <laughs> Obviously, you have a lot of really great LGBTQ plus representation in your, your creativity, which is just wonderful because there's such a need for it. Whenever you find media that has that, it just resonates so much more. Mm -hmm. So for me, like, I, I love Lucia and she's very relatable to me. I'm trans, so I'm trans femme. Obviously, that's not her case, but just the aspect of having this thing that you know about yourself and not really knowing what it means or having the words for it or the context of, of what it means to everyone else, but being told either by a family member or society at large that it's something to be ashamed of or that it will portray you in a bad way. And just having to to live with that and to try to make sense of your identity 
and knowing that you have this part of yourself that you can't quite quantify and you don't really know what it is, but you know that not everybody feels that way. But you also don't have anybody that you can talk with about it. So just having to, to put on the mask every day and go out and pretend to be this person that you're not. And then everybody that you know sees you that way and thinks that's who you are. And you just realize I'm, I'm an actor, like I'm an actor playing a character and I don't know who I actually am. So her story of self-discovery and, and coming to terms with these things about herself and, and learning more about what it means in the context of the society and, and her own life is so powerful. It means so much to me on a personal level. And a lot of those are themes I think a lot of people can relate to in some way, whether they're it's a transitory. secret or they're transitory. <laughs> yeah. But just having that was was really meaningful for me because I've only I only realized that I was trans in the last year. And as we're recording this right now, I'm not even openly out like even people on our feed don't know that I'm trans yet. So this will probably come out in the next couple of months because that's when it'll be more public. But congratulations. Thank you. It's it's really powerful. I mean, living your whole life and not not having the words and not knowing what it means and everybody has their own experience but for me it was very painful and very you know the the depersonalization and not not being able to connect with life and and know what it means was painful but yeah. also seeing you go through these bouts of extreme euphoria as you find out who you are and who you want to be that's been very special for me it's very cool i'm so happy that that's something that was able to resonate with you because Lucia's story is very personal to me in that a lot of what I write about what she's going through is sort of what I've been going through in, in discovering that I was bisexual and non-binary in an environment where I wasn't necessarily allowed to experiment with that openly or talk to people openly about it. And while it's you know not specific to bisexual or non-binary or anything, the, the people and Lucia being a fairy is very open-ended in that I wanted it to be an experience that anyone could could put themselves into it, Lucia and relate to what she was going through because no matter if you're non-binary or or bisexual or trans in the world that we live in it's very hard to be able to discover things about yourself safely and in a way that's welcoming and oftentimes sadly it isn't and Lucia's story is very much my personal love note to those people who are going through what I did in terms of discovering who they are and the trials that come with it, especially if you find you're discovering these things about yourself in an environment that is hostile to, you know, the things that you're discovering. I'll see comments sometimes about people from all different backgrounds of all different sexualities talking about how they related to this particular event or to what she said here and whatnot. And ultimately that's and there, there are moments when I'm writing dialogue when Lucia is speaking to Modius that I'm thinking more that she's talking to the reader than to Modius and Modius is just being a conduit at that time. And that, that happens between certain characters and conversations where I'm keeping in mind who's reading. And this story is something that I hope that people can find comfort in and strength and, and relate to and, and see themselves come out the other side, the person they want to be despite the trials that they have to go through. Yeah. Well, I know that's how we've been reading it. You've certainly succeeded there. And I'm glad. I'm very happy. And there are so many of those moments throughout the story that I, I can't even like pull one or two. It's just so, so constant. When you're making a tapestry, like the threads just keep repeating. <laughs> it's, it's great. So what you said earlier about one of the reasons you like writing Lucia is because she has to pick and choose her words so carefully. And that really resonates with me because, you know, when you, when you feel like you're having to live as an actor and not be your actual self and hold so many things back. It's more about presenting yourself to others as who you think that 
they want you to be so that you're accepted and so that you get some sort of affection or approval and just the fear of showing anything else because it it wouldn't get that or it could get outright hostility like you mentioned so yeah I, th I think it's extremely universal i think a lot of people can resonate with it because of that you know it's it's not specific enough that it says this is what it is and there's a lot of themes like that throughout the story like oh i really loved modius with the training dummies like after um, <laughs> that ruined me Nora oh god <laughs> uh, dude uh, yeah that was that was good that was painful in a good way the moment of realizing that he's he's very much alone in what he is yeah which sucks <laughs> i don't like hurting my baby but he's gotta grow I, he <laughs> does gotta yeah grow. exactly if there was no conflict it wouldn't you know it wouldn't mean as much it, it means there's not a story right Ali, you sent me a picture, I guess, that they drawn for Modius being Ace? Yeah, oh, the Ace Pride one I found yeah, on here. I thought that, that was really good. That was special for me because I am also Ace. So I was like, yay! Oh, yay! Yes, I had so I've been wanting to like do that for a while. And every June I think I'm gonna do a giant suitor armor piece with their flags, and then I and I don't have time. And it's like, oh what? And then we'll it's do one June for and Modius. you're like, fuck. And I got to, yeah. it was very fun because that mean I got to, so many people were like, what, but he loves Lucia. And I'm like, okay, we're about to learn about two different types of asexuality <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about different types of asexuality here. For our show, representation-wise, we started recording a couple years ago. So we're about to go into our fourth season of our main show, Neon Heat. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it like, like Suitor Armor is for you. Like, this is our labor of love. Like, this is the mm -hmm. passion project. And it means so much. And the main character that I play, her name is Athena. I've been playing her as ace and non-binary for longer than I think I knew I was. <laughs> like, I think I knew I was ace, but didn't quite know what subsections I fell into. But like, Athena yeah. is just, she's just an NB ace all the way through. <laughs> like, she really is. It's great. And I love her so much. And I hope that it's, it's not... It's not something that I see represented too often in media. So I wanted to try and get it out there for more people to be like, oh, well, maybe that's the words for what I am. Yeah. If I would have known in high school, wow, that would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> the only trans representation that I saw was in the main media, which are like all the negative stereotypes that I think everyone is familiar with. And yeah. Like no positive ones. So... It took me having a, a dear friend who is trans senpai. Who's trans? Yeah, she's my trans senpai. <laughs> and just having normal conversations with her where I was like, oh, okay, you're trans. I get that. Like, and just wanting to ask her questions and figure out like what that really meant because I just wasn't familiar. And the longer the conversations went on, the more I was just like, oh my, oh my God, I, I do that. That's, that's me. That's what I do. That's how I feel. Like, why does this sound? Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I like this for some reason. And then, yeah, there was that egg crack moment of just like, <laughs> fuck, I'm trans. Like, what? And my whole world turned upside down. So <laughs> representation is so important. Just letting people know that they're not alone and that their experiences might not be universal, but they're also normal and acceptable. And valid. And valid. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay to be who you are. So like, yeah, when we started our show, I I almost exclusively like all of the NPCs and the characters that Ali's character would interact with and like the story beats, almost all of them were women. And I was just like, these are the only characters that I'm interested in writing about and portraying and like couldn't connect the dots, right? Like, <laughs> and at there's... the time I was like, thank you for giving me all these cool, strong lady characters to like hang out with and go fight bad guys with. And you were like, yeah, that's that's the reason. 
And that's the only reason. Yep. But like it wasn't tongue in cheek because I didn't realize. Uh, yeah, it's just so crazy. It's so crazy to think about. But I think inside we always know our truths, and we we're always yearning to speak them through our creative outlets, our art. Um, if you want to, I know it is art. Everything's art, but it, I always feel that you always feel pretentious, pretentious when you call it art, it but art, it yeah. is. Um, but our our creative <laughs> and artistic truths is how we speak to the world, how we frame our own experiences for others to try to communicate that, and so that we can hope it resonates with somebody else and they find it meaningful in the way that we do. So, yeah, creativity's crazy, art's crazy, being gay, awesome, <laughs> art good, <laughs> art good, art better when gay, art better, <laughs> art is better when gay. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm super duper gay. <laughs> Another thing that's resonated with Modius and Lucia is in our show, my main character ended up romancing a tiny robot man. Uh, so it's not quite the <laughs> yeah. same, but the panel where Modius is like, I don't have lips. I was like, oh, <laughs> neither does mine. Yeah, I can't. It's just very sweet. Yeah, so our setting, it's science fantasy. Uh, I get technically post-apocalyptic future. There was like a snap ice age that killed a lot of people and the world was oh, barely fun. habitable. Yeah, you know. yeah, right. So this is like 200 years after that, after things are starting to thaw out and the world's getting back to normal. But there's like a, a super energy that lets science magic happen. So people have like superpowers and stuff. But one of the sentient races are basically what was artificial intelligence that is now being powered by this new super material that allows them to be fully sentient. So there's a lot of robot people walking around uh, that fill, fall into, you know, many of those categories. So yeah, I, I always like characters such as Modius being represented in, in various ways to give those different perspectives, both from developmental aspects and from, um, you know, gender and sexuality and things like that too. Yeah, because nothing like them exists in, in our world, if we're talking about, you know, a sentient suit of armor, a robot with awareness, stuff like that. And those those kinds of characters are so fun to write because, you know, again, it's not something that necessarily exists out in the world today. And I know a lot of people equate Modius to like, oh, he's a child. He's a baby. And no, I was like, oh, oh, no. Not. No, I mean, like he's baby, you know, like he's he's sweet. I, I always equate more to like if one of us was teleported to an alien planet and we didn't speak the language and we had no memories of who we were before, that it's more like that than it is um, him being a child necessarily because I don't like the implications yeah. there. But he's very, he's very wise in his own way and just because he doesn't necessarily have that, he hasn't seen a lot of the world and that does give him a level of naivety but it also makes him very genuine because he hasn't like we said earlier learned subterfuge or lying or anything like that those are all very foreign concepts to him characters like that allow you to explore something that doesn't necessarily exist in people here on earth you know <laughs> right yeah that's really powerful Oh, oh, I did have a question about Modius. This is more of a technical mm -hmm. question than a story question. How do you keep his armor on model? Because holy <laughs> shit, dude, it always looks amazing. I, I have pre, not pre-drawn. If I, if I ink a panel with him in it, I'll typically save it in case I ever need it again. So there's a lot of reusing pre-established drawings. I also have, it's just one of the generic 3D models in... Clip Studio Paint, where you can sort of change the height mm, okay. and the, the build of the character. It doesn't look like Modius 
in that it does it does not have armor on it at all, but it at least keeps the height consistent. And honestly, just having drawn him over and over so many times, I think the hardest part that I have to remain consistent about is I tend to flip my canvas a lot to make sure things are lining mm. up and his eye scars will appear on the wrong side <laughs> and I'll have to correct it. I don't think it's ever slipped through into a published episode. It's been, it's gotten close a couple of times though. You're like, what? I've never noticed that. that it has. It yeah. makes it feel better. I love yeah. his anime sparkles on his eye when he's so enchanted. I love that he loves animals and I love that he's friends with that big horse. He pets the dog, right? He no, pets the dog. The thing. He you says love yes. an animal. He does. Yeah, when he gets kicked in the face and he's just like, I love him. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, good. Modi is just a horse girl. And yep, I love yep, that. Everyone was like, oh, we're going to get like a, a horse girl story arc with Modius. <laughs> oh, gosh. I hope so. that horse is big enough that he it's, could it's ride. It's a yeah. Shire horse. Huh. I, I looked up. I was like, is there even a horse big enough for Modius to ride? And indeed there is. They are huge. Yeah, they're enormous. I've just recently started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 again, and I immediately got a giant Shire horse because I adore them. They go so slow, but they move like tanks. Got a lot of heart. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of heart. I named her Biscuit because I Biscuit. love her. <laughs> the most unthreatening name for the biggest horse ever. <laughs> but Arthur Morgan in that is also very much a horse girl, like yes. 100%. <laughs> he loves <laughs> horse. Something you said sort of the aspect of looking back on your work and not liking it based on where you were at that time versus where you are now. I don't know, that that resonated a lot with me because for what we do, you know, it's an audio medium. So going back and listening to like the earlier episodes when our audio quality wasn't as good because our mics weren't as good and just the the ability to do voice acting and the presentation of everything just wasn't as good, but it's not something you can go back and change. And having to rely on that as the avenue for people coming into the story and being like, listen, if you can make it past this early stuff, which is obviously good enough to keep some people interested, then you're going to be fine later on. Because, you know, four years later, we're doing much better. That resonated a lot with me. And I, I was wondering how you feel about that now, if it still is prevalent for you as it used to be. It's, it's or... still very, very prevalent. <laughs> I I, <laughs> I do have to go back and read things every once in a while just to make sure that my worst fear is like accidentally writing a plot hole that's impossible to fix. So I'm constantly reminding yep. myself of what I've published, what has been said, what has been established. And it is very painful to look back at old art, <laughs> especially I remember I asked, I think it was on Twitter, and this was between season one and season two. I asked like, oh, what would you like to see in season two? Just a generic question. And someone showed up and gave me the death blow of saying punctuation because no. there are no periods on any of the speech bubbles. I can't tell you why. I don't know how that slipped past or why I didn't put those in. Honestly, but, I like it. Yeah, it's I like every statement is ongoing forever. And it's like, <laughs> is that not the nature of storytelling? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, we'll make that the poignant reason why I didn't have those in there. So it's just stuff like that. Or I hadn't been using 3D backgrounds at the time. So it was me fumbling through trying to establish backgrounds when I am not a background artist. I am absolute unconfident garbage. I mean, I'm sure people will think that certain panels look good, but I cannot look back on those without feeling a visceral pain <laughs> looking at those. When you started using your 3D backgrounds, I was like, oh, thank God she can take a break. Yes. I know some people are like, the art style doesn't match the background. And I'm like, you know what? I could care less about what you think about that. Deal with it. It is not worth 
Oh, there was something during the ball, the big ball scene when Lucia is coming down the stairs for the first time and her beautiful, oh my God, that dress is so pretty. Are you going to bring up the painting in the back? Yes, I am. Oh, Who is that? <laughs> that? That stupid painting took away from hours of design work because I was so excited for people to talk about the dress and all anyone talked about was the damn painting in the background. It had been part of the damn 3D model. Paintings in the background were just established in there. And there's a setting where you can remove the paintings. And I had just forgot to click the off button for the paintings. <laughs> oh, no! Everyone came up with cockamamie oh. theories around this damn painting in the background. Oh, no. And they were like, is that the author? Is that something to do with the story? Is this who like, is? oh, who is that? Who is that? And I'm sitting there going, She's look at the photo. damn dress. <laughs> Oh, I was oh like, I can't believe this. Oh, no. But that was just part of the model. I forgot to take it out. By the time it was up, the damage was done. And I was too damn tired to go back and like have them re-upload it. Mood. See, I love I love learning things about that, though. It's just oh, um, God. adds an extra layer well, to it. Fear not, because I'm also here to gush about that dress. It Yay. is so pretty. <laughs> Thank you. The addition of the wings I was surprised to see them, but like very happy that that was incorporated. I don't know how Lucia felt about it at the time. Um. <laughs> it was it was one of those things where because a ton of people thought afterwards, like this must this must mean that Kiersey knows because Kiersey was the one who had gotten the dress commission right. for Lucia, and it was just one of those things where I wanted some sort of wings to be a part of her dress because that's who she is. It's supposed to be more symbolic. It was a plot contrivance more than it was Kiersey knows so she's putting wings into the dress design so Lucia will wear it and signal to her that like I've known about this because I've tried to make it so clear that Kiersey does not know so vapid so vapid she has not seen much beyond the tip of her own nose yes you know and a lot of people are like it's impossible they grew up together and stuff and I'm like well what does that tell you about her (laughs) you know that that was an intentional thing Kiersey is my least favorite character. Like, still a good character, still compelling. All of her... She like, just stresses you out. She just stresses me out because she's so yes. goddamn clueless and she has no idea. She's so self-centered, so self-absorbed. She has no idea what's going on. She can't think for herself. She gets manipulated so easily. She's so judgmental. And I, I realize all of that is intentional. Like, I get it. Yeah. So she's just the yes. character that I'm just like... <laughs> Kiersey, please! I'm, I'm so convinced that she's going to end up with Uncle War Crimes. As uh, the evil t- queen, it's going to happen. And then she'll have a redemption arc. And we've yeah, Kirstie is going to be going through much character development, I will say. And she is one of the characters I'm most excited to write for in terms of like things that happen that affect her directly and how things unfold in the story. And I have seen out of all the characters, the most hate go to Kirstie. Which is, about, you know, of course, she is not perfect. And she's done things that are unbelievably frustrating, which, again, are intentional. And I've talked about this with other Webtoon creators, that it's so interesting to me that the female character, who is obviously flawed, gets more hate than the old man who has slaves on chains. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's because it's such a betrayal, right? It's she, she is so mm-hmm. perfectly positioned to be the one person that Lucia should be able to count on. She should be able to be honest. This is her sister growing up, basically. Like, yes. of any person in the story, she should be able to count on this one friggin' person to support her. But she can. Yeah. And every time she tries and every time she gets close, it's an abject failure and she only makes things worse. So it's for that reason that she angers me so much more. 
Yeah, it's it's the frustration of family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, it is. At times of, you know, that, of course, you, they're supposed to be these people that you rely on, the, the whole idea that blood is thicker than water, but oftentimes it can sometimes be our family that hurts us the most without even realizing it because they don't know certain things about us. And so yeah. I think a lot of the frustrations targeted at Kiersey are because of so many people who have had experiences like that with their own family members. And, and I think um, that's accurate. I think that's very accurate. She is designed very purposefully with a lot of the frustrations people are feeling <laughs> towards her. No, you, you definitely channeled that very well. It's very relatable. At the ball, when you were doing a lot of establishing shots of just showing where people are in the crowd, what folks are getting up to, and just the general hustle and bustle. And Kiersey and Raymond are just knocking back wine goblets at one point. And I was like, this is not going to end well. <laughs> Tune in next time. Kiersey does love a strong drink. She loves a strong drink. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. That I was I, just I'm, so, I was so drunk. drunk and I'm so, I take everything back. Except for that thing you really want but me to. Except for the one thing that matters. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so again, like your your storytelling beats are woven together so well and you do a wonderful job of towing the line between like just barely almost giving the audience what they want and then snatching it away and push, <laughs> like throwing it back on the other side of the field and being like, ah, deal with that now. It's a beautiful alley-oop. Which is wonderful. <laughs> so it's, it's very well done. It's very compelling. It keeps people engaged. I mean, the more passionately people feel about it, the more important and the, yeah. the better received it is. So one of the scenes with Kiersey that I really, really, really liked and have thought about from time to time between my readings of it was the scene during the hunting trip where she gives Raymond the makeover, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, it, it just gave us a really nice insight into her character that she enjoys doing these things and she really couldn't do these things with anybody but her, but her dad when she was little. Because <laughs> like, Lucia won't let her get close to her in that way because she has to be guarded and she can't let Kiersey see her fucking ears. <laughs> or her yeah. wings. Or her wings. Yeah. Like, ugh. I don't know. That whole scene was very good and I liked it very much. And it gave us good insight into like Raymond's sad boy stuff and Kiersey's sad girl stuff. And they could be sad together, at least for a little yeah. while until Uncle War Crimes comes crashing back into their lives. Yes. Yeah. I, I had fun writing that scene because I did want a scene with specifically Raymond and Kiersey interacting alone together, which hadn't actually really happened before. Yeah. Yeah. But there was also the ulterior motive of the makeover scene to get rid of Raymond's fucking beard. I wanted <laughs> nice. that thing gone, but I needed a reason. <laughs> and that's an, such an excellent example of like a meta overarching story thing that has consequences within the story and it still makes sense. And you were able to use that as a character beat to give us something empathetic about her. Kiersey is very supportive of Lucia in the ways that she feels like Lucia wants to be supported in, but they're rarely correct. That They're that very hurts. misguided efforts. That's kind of the consequences of them having grown up together and knowing things about each other, but not everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's weird when you've spent, you know, your entire life around someone and you're supposed to know them front and back, like, and, but still having something that is preventing you from knowing them entirely either because they chose to keep that from you or just because you are not paying attention where you should be. <laughs> yeah, like Kiersey you know? even says where she's talking about Lucia and she's just like, yeah, she's always had these walls and like I've I've never even been able to break through like what I perceive as the last one, but it's probably not. <laughs>
just seeing how destroyed she was after the fire when everybody saw it, she she died. Like Kiersey just knee- sitting up against the wall outside and Rickon shows up and is just like, eh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? My sister's dead. <laughs> And Norix is like dripping tears into the ashes and oh god. <laughs> very dramatic, very, yes. Very good, very good I, anime boy. Yeah, he's such an anime boy. But I'm all about that shit. Sure, obviously. yeah. <laughs> the romance between Lucia and Modius with also this obviously just one-sided pining from Norix. Like, Lucia doesn't know as far as I, I don't can tell. Think, I don't know. I don't, I don't I think, think she's... She might know he's fond of her. Like, they call each other friends. But there's, I don't think she's, like, wise to it. Yeah, there's been at least one circumstance in which we see Lucia having some sort of attraction towards him as well. And I don't remember, I feel like it happened earlier in the story, even if it was just like the framing of him when it cuts like from her looking at him to him, the way it's framed to the audience or a passing look or something. It's not, it's not like overt, but I, I have a strong memory that that did occur. Was it when he had his little stargazing glasses on? <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> oh think that Oh my God, was it, that was but... a treat. Thank you for that. You are welcome. Uh, well, I can't comment what she is or is not aware of in terms of other people's feelings. I can say that it is affected by the fact that Lucia has never even given the idea of being with someone romantically or physically. She's never given that a thought because it's never been a possibility yeah. for mm-hmm. her. She completely blocked off the idea of, oh, I will probably never be able to be with someone romantically because that would mean I would have to open myself up and, you know, there's no way to avoid hiding what I am if I'm with someone in that way. So it's not that she blocked it off as a possibility. It's that she didn't even register it as a possibility. Right. right. And, you know, as she spends more time with Modius and is kind of realizing some of the things that she might be feeling, it's the first time in her entire life where someone has known what she is without telling her to hide or telling her that something is wrong with her. And so the possibility of a, that kind of relationship was suddenly starting to open up to her and it's it's a f- completely foreign concept. So I don't know if it's necessarily that she's completely unaware or ignoring the signals being given to her by certain characters mm-hmm. as it is. Oh, that's not a thing that's even possible right. for me. So I'm not even really addressing it. <laughs> right. She would have been an incredibly powerful spinster <laughs> if not for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Still could. Who knows? Still could be. Yeah. Still could. I love her mage outfit. It is it is so stylishly cut and like the sharp angles contrast with like literally every aspect of her round character design. It's just Ooh, it's Lucia Vingerberg. That's one of my favorite things to design. And again, it's a gift from Kiersey. Kiersey knows yeah. clothes for Lucia. Yeah. And that was when more of the blue started coming into Lucia's outfits. Mm-hmm. That's just good costume design. And that's something I struggle with very much. I'm like, ah, oh, they're probably wearing a tank top and jeans <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, costume design is one of my absolute favorite things to do. And I've got Pinterest boards full of inspiration and um, historical illustrations of what people used to wear and all that fun stuff. Designing OCs and then putting clothes on them is basically just the more convoluted adult way of playing dolls. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, aspects of role-playing, you know, tied up in that. 
with costume design. The way you draw folds is so pretty. It gives so much weight to the clothes. And I'm like, oh, well, that's obviously some sheer opaque transparent fabric. And that's like, oh, that's <laughs> probably wool. Those folds are thick. Thick. <laughs> so I just, I appreciated that from a technical standpoint quite a bit this time. I was like, those are nice folds. Oh, thank you. I actually reference a lot of art from, it's like a mobile game called the Arca Arcana. Arcana. Oh, um, is it that, is it that um, visual novel? Yeah, yeah, it's like a visual novel game. And I love the art style so much that I ordered, like I have the art book and stuff because the clothing and those illustrations were so well done. Mm. And a lot of my clothing style was very much inspired by like, I'll, I'll prop it open when I'm working and like stare at it and try to absorb like how they <laughs> did clothing folds. And obviously it seems to be working. But Absolutely. Definitely the art style there for clothing, just like chef's kiss. I love finding a reference source that just jives with what I'm currently doing. It's It just takes so much of the weight off. So I'm not as well-versed in webtoons as Ali is, but my understanding is that some webtoons do stuff like implement music and sound effects and other elements like that. Ah, uh, yes. I remember the first time I heard that done for like audio productions too, as opposed to just like a normal audiobook or something being read where they finally incorporated sound effects to it to really bring the scene to life. And it was such a switch in my head that got flipped. So that's something that we do with our productions too, or that really Ali does. Ali's incredible sound design. Oh, pickle. You, you are. Take take your accolades. I'll take them. <laughs> so I I guess, is that something that you ever considered going back and doing for pseudo armor, Like Im implementing background music or sound effects or things like that? Um, I have gotten offers from people who have done it previously for other webtoons. And it's not that I don't want to, it's just that there is a lot of prep time to get it done. And my schedule for this has been absolutely up and down. So I haven't been able to reliably give anyone who's offered me the chance to add music enough time to do it. So I, it's something that I would really like to implement, especially for like those key episodes or key moments in the future. It's just a matter of, of planning and making sure that I'm giving the musician enough time to do it in, in our production pipeline. That makes total sense. Netflix adaptation, Suitor Armor, where it was animated and you had your pick of voice actors for any characters. Oh, do you have go-tos? For, for voices, I I don't because honestly, when whenever someone says like, oh, well, what would you think it would look like as an adaptation? I always imagine it in live action, okay. not because I don't want it to be animated, but I always wonder how it would translate over into live action. That would be very cool. Yeah, when it comes to, oh gosh, I think the character in terms of voice, I think of the most because this would apply to live action too, is who it would be for Modius. And it's so, it's so hard just because one, there's such a sea of talented voice actors out there. And I'm also sadly not very familiar with their names. I recognize their voices, but putting names to their work because they're such chameleons is very difficult for me. I'm the type of person who doesn't remember a person's name until I've met them like 10 times. I'm just, I'm just that bad at it. True. <laughs> I'm good with faces, bad with names, which Same. has been great over the pandemic. Yes. While I don't have an answer for, for voices, I will say that if it ever got adapted and it happened to do live action instead of animated, it would be super cool if it could be directed by Guillermo del Toro yes, because I love Guillermo uh, del Toro. Wonderful. And I feel like he could do some fun, interesting things because I, I don't believe it would need to be one-for-one -one adaptation. 
I would be the type of person to say like, oh, if you want to put a little bit of your own spin on it, that's fine. Because if people want the one for one, you could just go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then like the only one I have in a cast at all is just Anya Taylor-Joy as Kiersey. And that's it because I'm just very bad at casting in my head. I don't recognize that name. What is she in? Uh, She was in The Bitch, The Menu, The Queen's Gambit. Okay, I do recognize her. She does the voice of Peach. Oh oh my gosh, what? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't have a real answer for that question. Maybe if it ever does get adapted, then then there'll be a real lineup that I can actually (laughs) answer. (laughs) For Modius, when you said that you might have a choice for him, would it be like, is there a different character in like a different show, even if you don't know the voice actors? It's so funny because I had so many people in the comments when he first spoke talk about what they think he would sound like. A lot of people said Vin Diesel because of the Iron Giant. <laughs> oh my gosh, Lucia Superman. Superman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then that was also during the height of like Corpse Husband's popularity. And so people were saying Corpse Husband and I didn't know who that was at the time. I thought it was an anime character and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> The man who does the voice of Kratos in God of War, I feel, would do an amazing job. Dad of War. Dad, Dad of War. Hell yeah. So we're talking deep resonant. Yeah, it would need to be a deep resonant. And there's a few people out there, I feel, that can capture it. What about the cadence or the rate of his speech? Like, does he speak very haltingly? Like, is it one word at a time, kind of? Or does he speak with a more natural flow? Like, I think at the beginning, it's very halted and slow, you know, as he's trying to trying to speak and as time has gone on his sentences have become a little bit longer and more well put together so i imagine his voice and way of speaking becoming a little bit smoother over time as he gets used to speaking and so it it evolves from one to the other as time goes on and he talks more cool you made it red would be very halting but talking (laughs) about i like horses is very much one (laughs) sentence yeah I think I've been reading it like Wan Chi Tong's voice in Avatar. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know why. Oh, okay. He's Raphael Sparge. Yeah. Yeah, he's really good. Who's also Caden. He's Caden Alenko in Mass Effect. Oh. Yeah. And he's uh, Jiminy Cricket in Once Upon a Time. Oh my God. God, I, Once Upon a Time is my guilty pleasure soap opera. It's it's oh. absolute nonsense, but I fucking love it. Oh, I love that show. Dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so juicy. It's so juicy and dumb. I love it. Season one, I will watch on repeat over and over again. Season one is the strongest one, I think. Yeah. It is. It really is. I know it's convoluted. I don't care. Oh, yeah. No, that's not a show that you watch. Like, I'm in this for the continuity and the (laughs) the well thought through plot lines. It's like, no, I'm invested in certain characters and I just want them to be happy. (laughs) I'm still on that Emma and Hook train. Uh, yes. That's never going to reach the station where I lose interest in it because they're just sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so gay for Regina. Oh, oh my God. yeah. She's amazing. Oh, my God. I ship Regina in happiness because she needs to get there on her yes. own. She deserves it. Oh, I, re- I ship Regina in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I, I don't think I got past, like, season four, but that's also because I... Like things were crazy at IRL and I'm also just very bad now at sitting down and, and watching a show consistently unless I've got like a partner. It's that body doubling with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, we're 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 committing to this as a team. We're gonna watch this every week. I'm definitely more of a binger than I am like a slow burn over time. Mm-hmm. Same. 
I'm right. surprised we've taken this long with Owl House. <laughs> that's true. I don't know, but that's, I don't know. That it's one's a treat. Been, I want to keep picking at it. Yeah, you know? that, one, that one's been an exception because of how much it has meant to me, especially at this point in my life where I'm just like, this This show has so much representation in, in ways that I, I desperately wanted and needed growing up that I didn't have that I just don't want it to be over. Yeah. For many video games and TV series <laughs> over time, like I, I loved NBC's Heroes. That was like, the first show that I really fell into the fandom of and fell in love with and I was watching week by week and I was like on message boards and stuff during the off season because I was just so into it. When I heard it got canceled and I was like midway through season four, I just didn't keep watching. I just stopped watching. So I still have like the second half of that season because I just never wanted it to be over. Things getting canceled is honestly the most heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. Thing, especially when it's for the stupidest reasons. Yeah, but we're, I don't know, we talk about our favorite part of the story is the middle. Like, mm -hmm. we like dwelling in the middle of the story. And that's mm -hmm. why tabletop RPGs and actual plays are, are so meaningful to us because it is iterative and it is improvisational. And while there's a framework, you never know what's going to happen and there's not like a planned conclusion to it. So it just gives you that time to exist in the world or the setting and explore these interactions with the characters and how things are different, how they're the same and, and what meaning you find there. So it's the Mass Effect 2 experience. Yeah, so oh, God. I never like when things end as, as much as I love a climax and I love the, the drama of it. I, I never really want things that I love to end. And that's always hard. Yeah. But I know that's what endings make things meaningful. There has to be an ending. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Fuck. Fine. Okay. Oh, important question for Mass Effect. Oh, yes. Who are you romancing? Ooh. Okay. All right. So I played Mass Effect 2 first. My partner had me play it without having played the first one, saying that it was a good standalone game. It is. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite games. <laughs> so I played it and I was looking into the fandom, which is not nearly big enough. Mm -mm. Yep. Agreed. Everyone was going on about Garrus Vicarian. Yes. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'll try romancing Garrus, you know, because that's the one everyone says is like the best romance. And that motherfucker would not stop doing his stupid calculations. And I found out that there was no way for me to romance him because I did not have the first playthrough <gasps> history. Oh my God, what? I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know that could happen either. Oh no, what a letdown. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm attempting to do it now. I'm doing my my second playthrough after having played the first and my, my decisions carried over. So I didn't get to romance him. Morden told me he was ace and I was like, okay, I respect that. I definitely tried to <laughs> yeah. go for Morden. Yeah. He's just <laughs> a fast talk. Did he sing Scientist Solarian for you? Oh, yes, he did. I love him. He's so good. Oh my God. Love, love Morden. And I would be damned if I was going to romance a fucking human in an alien game. So <laughs> right? why are they options? Oh my God. Yeah. So I ended up with Thane on my first playthrough of Mass Effect 2. He's such a sad boy. Yeah, he's so emotional. God, I cried yeah. a lot. I was like, of course I picked the dude who's dying. dying. Yeah. Well, my, my one true love in Mass Effect is Tally. Oh, Tally. I love Tally. God, but she's But I can't wonderful. romance her as a lady. Without mods. Without oh. mods, right. Like, let me be gay with Tally. Really? Yeah, yeah. she's not, what a she's not gay. She's not bi. She's just... See, they saw in Dragon Age 2 when everyone was bisexual and the city exploded. <laughs> They're like, we can't do this anymore, you guys. I love Tally she's so, so much. sweet got my emergency induction for it i don't think i could romance her though because throughout the first game i was like you are my daughter i'm adopting you i love <laughs> you so much i took a very like motherly protective stance over this corian girl 
And that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. She's just so little. She's on pilgrimage. <laughs> I am attempting to get Garrus Vicarian in bed. So help me God, it will happen this time around. You so got I can this. see what the fuss is about. <laughs> He's got the range. I do. I do love him. His personality is great. So that helps. A fun little side note. So uh, again, for our game, not getting into specifics, <laughs> but the little robot man that Allie was talking about that her character ended up romancing, the name of the sentient robot people is the Arrow. <laughs> they all have like different colored circuitry, basically. They all, you know, thematically, their color remains consistent. And his is like a deep, dark blue. And he had a sniper rifle at one point and he's kind of snarky and, you know, like that. So at a certain point, I was like, oh, I literally just made like little Garrus Vicarian for you to carry around <laughs> in your pocket Garrus. without realizing it. So. I will put him in my pocket. Are you kidding me? I don't know. His, his whole thing is he's kind of like Columbo and that he's like, <laughs> except he's more bothered than Columbo. So he's, he's sort of like... He's a more anxious Columbo. Yeah, he's oh like more God. anxious, always bothered Columbo. And he's just sort of like snarky and done with every situation. And for some reason, I didn't realize that my wife, whom I'm, I'm married to, would immediately focus on that. And then I was like, what does that say about <laughs> well, I think it's also that I never got to romance Nick Valentine in Fallout 4 because it's not allowed. That was a crime. That was a it's crime. It's a crime. Insanity. Yes. insanity. <laughs> Absolute insanity. How dare that? He's the most interesting NPC in the game. I had to go with Hancock because he was the second best. It's like how... How on earth do you not think that people don't want to romance the robot detective? I know. Yeah. My God. They're like, listen, if we let people pal around, you know, get romantic with robots, then or since, you know, we got to that's a whole other can of worms. And we're not prepared to answer those questions. Nobody's in this game. ever going to go against the institute. Yeah, cowards. Absolutely. Because you can romance Curie, who is yeah. a robot that's she's not even like a, she a gets synth. Ported she's a robot a that gets ported eventually. into a body. Yeah. So it's like crimes. Cowards. See, and this is why I make giant suit of armor datable romance yes. series because I'm thank not being you. given the content that I want so I'm just gonna make it I crave it yeah we crave that mineral <laughs> speaking of giant sentient suits of armor mm -hmm. I know I keep doubling back to the ball, but I just really, that whole series of chapters was so good for me on an intrigue level and a character development level and Lucia telling him that he shouldn't exist only for her was such a wonderful subversion of like the I would die for you to the end of the universe like only you I exist because and for you mm -hmm. and she's like you should like get a hobby <laughs> find out more about yourself this is a little much to put on me so like please figure out a little bit more about yourself god I grew up in the height of twilight mm -hmm. oh god uh. yep I, I will admit I was one of those girls that enjoyed it at the time with like my friends. It was something that all of us got to talk about and like we'd read the books together. So I enjoyed the experience of having something to read with friends more so than the content itself. But I grew up in that era of romance where a character couldn't exist without the other. And while I was caught up in it as a teen, you know, because the teenagers yeah. and stuff. When I when I grew up, I was just like, if you take these two characters and separate them from each other, there's nothing to them. And I really want to see less of that in romantic media because it's one, not healthy. And two, it can just, if the characters don't have their own personality and hopes and dreams and likes outside of their relationship, then they're not very well-rounded characters. They gotta strive. Yeah, and while it might sound romantic at the time, you know, when someone says, 
I live only for you and, and stuff like that. I, I've just kind of become a little bored with that just because it's, it's everywhere in like young adults specifically. And yeah, well, I'm not trying to remove the giant romantic gestures from the story. I was just like, Lucia is very much if you if someone said that to you, it could come off as super romantic or super chilling. Lucia is horrified when Modius says that to her because she's lived her whole life for someone else, not necessarily in a romantic way, but taking care of them. And, and she's discovering herself now rather than when she should have in very vital years of her life. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many romantic tropes that have just become so ingrained and as a result have just come become a little a little boring to me. So I really enjoy trying to subvert those or to remove them from the story and introduce a different option or a different line of dialogue in response to what you were expecting to be said in that scenario. It also makes it more fun and challenging to write if you don't immediately give in to the trope itself. You're not giving into the fan service aspect. Yeah. You're just like, I want this to feel genuine. So I'm going to write it that way. Obviously, like fan service can be fun. You just don't want to lose your entire characters and your entire plot to that. Oh my gosh, Kat, you're scrambling all over the place. Sorry. <laughs> What's your kitty's name? Uh, my cat's name is Imhotep. Speaking of characters who live for someone, <laughs> like <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> oh, the mummy. Whoops. So funny. <laughs> Our cat's name is Suki. As I was reading today, you have a lot of these group shots where characters are conversing and trying to work through a difficult situation and the camera flips 180 and it's just Lord Rickon standing there silently with that smug little look on his face. And I appreciate how often you do that because it makes me laugh every fucking time. Cut over to him, like striking a pose in the corner, like, like, "Hmm, isn't this a juicy piece? Well, 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 how am I gonna ruin this situation? But I was like, oh, okay. So he's probably like in his mid to late 50s. But I don't really have a bead on how old like the main cast is other than probably like mid to late 20s. Yeah, the youngest that anyone is, is like mid 20s. I haven't given them all particular nailed down ages just because personally, I don't feel the need to establish every single detail about the character Yeah, yeah. in the story. Everyone is well above like their mid-20s at the very least. Rickon is definitely the oldest. Any of the relationships that happen are not creepy age gaps. Everyone's around the same ballpark except for Rickon who's bringing up the crusty rear. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a song that you listen to over and over again that you just are imagining an AMV about these characters? It's probably like every song's I do that shit too. But I, oh, let me pull up my Spotify. Hold on. Yes. There's, there's a couple and my music taste is all over the place because I'll have songs that cover scenes in my head that I haven't gotten to draw yet. So I'll replay those scenes in my head while listening. A song that I listen to a lot when I am thinking about Lord War Crimes, as we are calling him now. <laughs> It's a song called Cut My Fingers Off by Ethan Bortnick. Oh, fuck. I, I know, I know. The time is, I know. Cut my fingers off. A couple of the songs from... Oh, and I forgot to mention this in terms of, like, favorite animated things. The the show Arcane, the League of Legends Oh, my God, show. yes. So good. And there's a few songs from there, like Dynasties and Dystopia. I listen to that one a, a lot as well when I'm playing some events out in my head. Mm-hmm. I can't say like what scenes I'm thinking of when I'm (laughs) writing this, but there's also, this one was actually made into a music video on Webtoon's YouTube page 
for Studio Armor, and it's a song called This Is How You Fall In Love by Jeremy Zucker and Chelsea Cutler. Ooh. It's a really sweet, soft ballad, and I think the lyrics are perfect for Lucia and, and Modius's relationship. There's Camino by Calva Luis. I have I have so many things saved that are <laughs> that are future events. There's even some songs from the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack that I have on here. <laughs> Fury Road is is amazing. How to Be Human by Chelsea Cutler is also one I listen to a lot that is a modious song for sure. I love that you had go-to answers because I make playlists oh, yeah. on Spotify <laughs> constantly. I'm like, oh, this is this character. I'm going to listen to this and hyper-focus on only this playlist for one month. Yes. <laughs> Theme music, you know, assigning music to characters yeah. and filling them out that way. It's very good. Your process for general character creation, it, it probably depends on the needs of the story, but do you go based on like an archetype that you need to set in, what is needed by the setting and world building, personality, things like that? Or does it just happen organically or? I usually have like a general idea of at least of like one or two features, either hairstyle or what they would wear that sort of helps me lay the groundwork for the character. I, I started paying a little bit more attention to characters as I was going along because I didn't realize until a ways into the story that Lucia and Kiersey are the only two girl characters in the entire series, pretty much. That wasn't intentional at all. It just was something that I didn't think about while I was creating the rest of the cast because of what, you know, who they were in my head and I already knew what they needed to do and, and what their role was and stuff. So it, it just looks like a major imbalance. But there are going to be um, some more female characters that are introduced later. Yes. There was that one shady lady at the market that I would like to know more oh, about because yeah. she oh, was yeah. foxy lady, she was foxy. as we call her. Yes. That's the thing with webtoon pacing, unfortunately, is like, oh, there's such an imbalance between men and women in the story. And it was like, no, there's more women. They're I just promise. taking their sweet ass time <laughs> getting here because of the pacing. Well, I will be waiting with bated breath. You can never go wrong. Again, I enjoy drawing women a lot. So series has been challenged. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result, a lot of the men look real pretty. <laughs> Baynard is very beautiful. It's a very oh, beautiful yes. Baynard man. Baynard is quite a stunning individual. <laughs> what if Norix was lady? What if? You what know? Know? I've seen some really fun headcanons in regards to Norix. It's really, really cute. Oh my God. I had a headcanon. I might cut this because it's like not relevant to anything that we've actually talked about. <laughs> But even if this was in an AU or something, like if Norix was himself like a glamoured elf, like his mom uh, might have been a fairy coming in from across the ocean. Nobody will teach her how to do magic or take her on as an apprentice because she's like a pariah. And then he's just a little guy. He's just this little guy. I don't know. I thought it'd be neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love seeing stuff like that. I've, I've seen a lot of takes on what Modius would look like as a human or as a fairy. And I'm pretty open about this plot point just because it's not a plot point so much as it is me saying, no, that's not going to happen in this story. Everyone's like, I can't wait for Lucia to kiss Modius and he's going to turn into a human. And I'm like, no, no. I'm not doing that. That ain't <laughs> happening here. Sorry. That is not happening here. That the whole Beauty and the Beast thing. I liked the Beast when the Beast yes, was you. Thank <laughs> you. God. <laughs> so many people are expecting, and I don't feel like it's a spoiler. It's just me setting the president. Like, no, Modius is a suit of armor. It's not really possible for him to turn human. Magic has limits in this universe. It's not about him changing. It's about him being himself as he is and being accepted yeah. that way and being loved that way. And the whole, gosh, I 
I've had I've had people emailing me asking how they would have kids. And I'm like, I don't want to answer these emails. <laughs> Why is this conversation even being brought to me? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've had people going like, well, how did Lucia get born if she had two dads? And I'm like, I am not here to teach you how adoption oh or how previous marriage works or how trans people operate. I'm not going to like, there's so many... And I left it very open-ended about how Lucia came to be. Also, magic trans fairies? Like, come on. Come on. Come on. It, it, come come on. on. It's, it's magic. You're like, come it's on. born from like a flower, right? Uh. And I was like, what are you talking about? Listen, I'm not here to take you to health class. Yeah, this is not a health class. Like, you can you can come to your own conclusion. And I, I like leaving things open-ended in regards to that. Like, she could have been adopted from someone else. One of her fathers could be a trans man or one of her fathers could have been in a previous relationship there's so many yeah. you know but, but i don't feel the need to give every single detail about how things came to be or where characters came from because i think part of the fun of creating a story is leaving some things a little open for readers to create their own ideas or opinions on how things came to be or where characters came from and stuff obviously important plot points will be shared if it's relevant to the story yeah. but when people ask for every single tiny detail about a character, I'm like, I don't know. There's still things I don't know about certain characters, and I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's the mystery, and it gives you wiggle room for later if you need to add or embellish yeah, or definitely. anything. But you treat the audience with respect throughout the story. You you give tangible information. You do give tangible facts, but there are so many other pieces that are left open-ended that way so that the audience can draw their own conclusions or they can infer details. You do a really wonderful job of straddling that line between you know, I'm not giving you too much and I'm not giving you too little. It's just this wonderful little gray area that you get to play in and it doesn't hold the story. You know, the story is able to proceed as normal and it just really comes together so well. So there's a lot of great foreshadowing and what ifs and seeds that are being planted that could certainly bloom into any number of things as the story continues. And that's part of the fun is not knowing and being able to to draw those conclusions. Yay! I'm so glad that comes across. Like, and it makes me so happy the things that you guys have brought up and, and mentioned and stuff. I'm like, oh, people notice. Yeah, <laughs> We're very detail-oriented people. It's so, it's so validating. <laughs> I think we have a lot of creative crossover in terms of likes and dislikes there. So stylistic similarities. Yes. We have reached that time. Do you have anything you'd like to say at the end of this? Just thank you so much for reading and the support and the patience. And there's been so many ups and downs in creating this series, but it's been worth it to have so many people enjoy it and follow along as I produce the rest of this story. So just thanks in general. It's a very special story and I'm very glad that you're taking the time to share it with everybody. Yeah. And our, our fan base definitely has a significant number of individuals who read every week. So I think this will be a treat for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So glad. Yeah. So thank you so much for, you know, spending the time and talking to us and just geeking out about some stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Do you have any plugs or anything that you want to throw in here as far as like links or addresses or projects, anything like that? Just my Twitter, Instagram. I've been pretty focused only on Pseudorammer. Oh, I guess my, my Twitch as well, because I've been streaming a little bit more to get to know readers. Oh, yeah. I saw your VTuber avatar. It so cute thanks i uh, i want to be a fairy irl so you know there you go dream dream lived <laughs> it's very cute this has been a real treat i'm really glad we got to sit down and just jab for a little bit yeah it was really wonderful talking to you guys thank you so much again yes thank you it was really great to meet you